Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to The Call. Tenstock picked by you two experts. One hour. It is Monday, the 12th of December. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. And our two experts on the show today, Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor and Philip Pepe from Shoren Partners. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Thanks, Greg. Um, is, is the um, the Santa Claus rally just on pause at the moment, do you think? Um, until we, I guess we're awaiting the key CPI data out of the States and then the Fed decision. Is that, is that what it's sort of dependent on at the moment? I'm going um, to tell you off a little bit. I hate Santa Claus rally. <laughs> I, I just think it's, it's a real distraction from what's important. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to suggest you can't have a bit of fun, but we've really got to keep our eye on the game here, which is, um, which is long-term stock selection. And trying to predict the stock for six weeks of the year is just is folly and a distraction and mm. we have a rule at Intelligent Investor, we don't do it and um, and so I'm, I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that. But your point about CPI is is dead on. Um, these numbers are absolutely crucial because the, the market's quite divided. I think there's, there's a camp that says we've peaked and there's a camp that says there's more to come mm. and someone's going to be right, someone's going to be wrong. There's a clear um, divide in the market and that's what makes things really interesting. Consensus is always boring. Um, so this is these numbers are going to be really important. So yes, we're, we're watching those. Couldn't give a stuff about the Santa rally. And when Christmas comes along, for me, the market shuts down and I'm yep. focused on Christmas. We'll come back in January <laughs> and deal with it then. Ah, bar humbug. Bar, <laughs> bar humbug <laughs> as well. Add that to it as well. Yeah, Phil, <laughs> what are your thoughts? And uh, like if, if CPI misses, it yeah. could be quite a, quite a big a reaction, couldn't it? Especially with the end of the calendar year, financial year, you might see people taking risk off and going on a holiday. Just going so, on holiday. Yeah, if it's negative, mm. it's shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. So there's still a lot of nervousness, still a lot of, um, you know, I'll buy something next year, but if it's bad, I'll sell this year. Mm. Um, you know, to your point, not my quote, but investing used to be a test match. And then it became a one-day match, and now it's very much a 2020. <laughs> What's the next colours? Wasn't you know we've got a catalyst in four days, like so that. the market yeah, will yeah, probably yeah. do nothing until then, and then move in a big way on Thursday morning our time, and then no volumes next but week. Blame the millennials. It's that short attention span. It is. It is short attention. I don't know. So I've been listen, I've been listening to this Santa rally talk for at least sort of 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, poor millennials. Give cut them some slack this time. I think it's us who've um, who've started all this. But I think we, we will get some good data points into Christmas though, because retail sales are probably going to be strong. Consumers are still cashed up. We haven't yet to see yeah. the impact of interest rate rises. There's yeah. probably a difficult calendar 2023 coming up when the fixed rates roll off, yeah. um, fixed rate mortgages roll off. So we, we kind of all know what's going to happen, but let's enjoy the party for now. And then we'll, because people aren't focused on a three-year view, and in a lot of cases it's a three-months view. And, four weeks might look good yep. we'll worry about January in January post Australia Day. We're really interested in your view on this actually because for me one of the great mysteries of certainly the second half of 2022 is the resilience of the consumer I mean expectations of everyone myself included has been um, a weak consumer weak spending and certainly weak retail results 
but we haven't seen that anywhere. And people are still pricing retail stocks and discretionary stocks as if the spending is going to fall off a cliff. And mm. logically, it should fall off a cliff. Mm. There's a huge expense coming for every single household. And you add to that energy and, and inflation. It, I'm, I'm very surprised by the resilience of spending. And I don't know whether it's just a delayed response or whether we've got this completely wrong. But I'm open to both prospects. I think it's, it's possible. It's possible. I think unlikely, but possible that we've got, the, got this um, spending um, narrative wrong. But I, logically, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm, I think that's going to be a really important driver in the early part of, of 2023. Well, you did have those elevated um, savings levels you know, in households, but I guess that is coming off quite significantly. Yeah. I mean, you know, spending is still, you know, the states is but still strong think, too, isn't it? But you'd think households know that there's an interest rate cliff coming. They should be, logically, they should be moderating their behaviour now. Yeah, so the, these happening. are the households yeah. who borrowed expecting interest rates to never change because... <laughs> Fair someone point. <laughs> wearing a suit said interest rates won't change. Well, fair yeah, point. But think of all those, fair particularly point. at the lower end, all yeah. those um, yeah. new home buyers that got in at the top of the market. And uh, you know, I guess it's a question yeah. of what, what's the tipping point? Where do rates get mm. to when mm. you actually just start to see that pain? But conversely, it might be a case mm. of, okay, my mortgage repayment is coming up next year, mm. so I'll take that holiday this year. Or I'll buy that new trampoline this year. Or seems whatever. mad. Um, seems yeah. mad. All right. Well, look. Uh, let's uh, get into mm. it. Our first five stocks of the day: Westgold Resources, Omni Bridgeway, Phoenix Resources, EQT Corp, and Noble Oak Life. Our stock of the day is the gold miner St Barbara, and it's a smaller peer Genesis Minerals have agreed to merge. A lot of M&A going on at the moment, actually. Uh, that combined company to be renamed Hoover House. Uh, the $541 million deal by Genesis will allow the combined entity to focus on the highly prospective Leonora district in WA. And St. Barbara will also undertake a demerger of its non-Leonora assets, Atlantic and Simbiri operations in Papua New Guinea, which will be held in a company to be known as Phoenician Metals. So, Gaurav, um, what do you think of the move? Look, there's been talk of consolidation in that Leonora space for years, as long as I can remember. And this is the first time someone's actually come up and, and mocked up all these little operations. It makes sense. I can see the case for doing that. I, I think the test really is, in, in my view, Lenora has never been, there's a lot of gold there. No one's really made a lot of money. And I've always suspected that, um, you know, the grades are low, it's deep in the ground. I, I suspect the economics in, in this area just aren't that great. But it could be that um, with the achievement of some scale, you might be able to run a lot of volume through centralized processing and you could make money. I think that's gonna be the test here. I'm by no means rushing out to buy a Genesis or whatever it's called um, now, but this is an interesting idea. It's an interesting experiment. I'll be watching this closely. Um, it's about time someone actually mopped up this area and had a go. It's pleasing to see someone do it and, and do it rather sensibly, I think. Um, St. Barbara has been a mess for years, like the, one of some of the worst capital allocators in the gold industry. Um, they've been mining this Gualia mine almost profitlessly for years, almost decades really. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical about how this will work, but I, I'm really impressed that someone's made a good go of it and, and the plans look sensible. Um, I, you'll be, I think it's a good experiment. I'll be watching mm. with interest. Certainly won't, won't be picking up stock. You're, we're in an environment where gold stocks generally are just incredibly cheap and there is no need to go up the risk curve you need to you can play an easy game here picking up good quality assets at very cheap prices you don't need to do this so avoid for me but interesting experiment keep watching yep okay phil 
Uh, we've got a buy on Santa Barbara, uh, and for me, the proposed deal actually looks pretty good. So both companies are around about 500 mil market cap, put them together, get a bill. Sweet spot for a lot of, a lot of investors to get a lot more liquid. Um, gold price seems to be recovering. I can't pick it, won't try to, but someone told me it the Golden Cross <laughs> or something last month. And yeah, it's, it's, that's how you do it, finger in the so air. It's Golden Cross, yeah. so it's moving in the right direction, so happy days. But they've also got rising costs, um, labour, yeah, yeah. diesel, all that kind of stuff. So consolidation makes absolute sense, especially if you're at the smaller end like they are. You put two together, you get greater access to labour potentially, you can share some infrastructure. So I think what they're doing on paper based on what's been released this morning sounds like it makes sense. We already have a buy on Santa Barbara because of valuation. Because a lot of It is super cheap, isn't so it? Cheap. It is so cheap. Yeah. Add some economies of scale and some synergies. It looks okay. Um, I'm not the resources analyst, but I have no reason to believe we won't change our call on this one. I still think it's Santa Barbara's a buy. It's worth pointing out that gold is uniquely susceptible to inflation because you're moving so much dirt in relation to how much good stuff you got. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking about parts per million when it comes to gold, not um, much, much greater. Um, uh, in something like um, copper or nickel, some of the other base metals, you're moving a much smaller amount of, of waste. And so you can get away with a degree of inflation. In gold, there is nowhere to hide. They're just, there is, the margins are, are so slim the, the amount of um, gold you're moving is so small in relation to how much waste you're moving, it really bites um, the equities in, in high energy times in, in particular, because this is a very energy intensive process. All right, okay, so uh, that's our stock of the day. Well, it's uh, actually gonna continue that uh, conversation because our first stock as picked by you is West Gold uh, Resources. Um, and assume that asking can an investment be made in the stock at the current price level, trading at about 76 cents, and you only have to take a look at the chart to see the pain that investors have suffered, certainly over the past uh, year or so. Um, so, Phil, West Gold, um, you know, once again, you mentioned those costs, and that certainly yeah. hit this company with those diesel prices, you know, up by more than 100%, uh, supply chains, other inflationary costs as well. And that's the issue when you don't have scale. So yeah. they had a good first quarter production report. I believe it generally beat um, expectations, but the costs were up greater. And on um, at least on consensus, it's still burning, call it 20, 20 25 mil uh, per annum in cash. So I'm avoiding or cautious the cash burners at the moment. Mm. Uh, they're probably in the right space in terms of momentum, in terms of the commodity price, but in terms of cash generation, not so. If you've won that pain, given current valuations, you'd probably hold it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't buy it uh, if you weren't already there because it sounds like their costs are growing greater than their revenue, so it's, it's a hold at best for me. It sounds like you're tempted to get rid of it, though. At 76 cents, you've worn a lot of pain. Yep. I mean, it's got, in terms of top line, it's got top line momentum. Gold price seems to be on the upside. Does today's announcement on Santa Barbara mean that can anyone take these guys over? I don't know. I don't know the space that well. Uh, it, it's a hold at best yeah. if you found something Well, if you're else. seeing other opportunity in that space, mm. you know, potentially get out of that into something else. You but could I'll, switch. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, in fact, I'll ask you that. I think that's a really important point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going to get gold exposure, um, you really want to maximise because all these names, they're all different mines, but they'll rise and fall with the gold price. And no matter how good their operations are or no matter how good their economics are, they will follow the gold price. So um, if you're taking on a higher risk mine, you really want to be rewarded um, with higher returns. Um, and, and I actually think that's the case here. West Gold is a, is a well-managed mine. It's just not a great mine. The, it's, it's one of the higher cost mines in Australia, over $2,000 
an ounce it takes to extract an, um, a, a bit of gold. And most, most miners, good miners will do that for half the price. Um, so this is a high cost producer, but a high cost producer has its place. If you're a bull on the gold price, then this is actually not a bad place to be. The balance sheet's in good, in good nick. Uh, feels right, the, um, the, the diesel costs in particular have savaged the operation, but they've actually got a plan in place to put on a gas um, generator on site. Um, they've got access to some gas, Pacific Energy, um, which unfortunately was taken over, but it's a great little business. Um, but, but that's gonna be running that plant, and that should materially reduce the energy costs um, in the future. So well, I think we've seen the worst of the inflation in West Gold, and if you're a believer in the gold price, I think you're being really well compensated for the additional risk here. I th actually think it's, if you're a believer in the gold price, mm. this is an interesting buy. Um, I'll go speculative buy on this. Um, I'll, I'll hasten to add that it's not what I would choose myself. Um, I just don't know where the gold price is going and I would not act with that much certainty myself. But if someone has a crystal ball and thinks the gold price will rise, this is a great exposure to, the, to, to gold. And yep. it will do very well if the gold price does well. All right. Well, so for the benefit of those watching then... Spec buy. Yeah. What would you pick though in the <laughs> okay. gold? Okay. Uh, I think um, very tough to, to go past evolution, I think, at these prices. It's had a very good run up, but um, superbly managed business and managed for cash flow. So you get a lot of cash out of that thing. Um, and there's a mine they've got in Canada that looks like they're making a little bit of progress on as well. Um, I also like Gold Road. It, it's maybe the most expensive miner on the market at the moment, but what they're doing there, I think, is, is a fantastic long-term game. They're taking cash flows from a wonderful asset, reinvesting it in maybe the best exploration portfolio in Australia. Um, and I'll throw in Romelius, just as a management team who continues to surprise um, and pulls deals out that just make great, um, great value. So mm. I think those three are the ones um, that I'd go for. All right. Let's move on to Omni Bridgeway. Roger wanted to know a bit about this thoughts and whether um, you see strong growth ahead. It, uh, it operates funds that essentially pay for, for litigation. Um, so, uh, Gaurav? What are your thoughts on Omni Bridgeway? Yeah, we actually own this okay. um, in our funds. We've had a buy on it for, I would say, probably 18 months and sat there <laughs> enduring pain for probably 15 of those months. Um, and it's finally, um, I think it's in the money now, which is, um, which is not a moment too soon. There you go. Um, so the, the case for Omni Bridgeway is that uh, this, is, this used to be a, I would say, a poor quality business. It used to um, invest in... Um, in court cases, its own cash in court cases for a for a return, and those returns would come sporadically in lumpy fashion, um, and it was very hard to forecast how much money they would make. It was very difficult to forecast what returns they'd get. Um, but these guys have a long record of taking good, acceptable risks and generating really good returns. So they've now pivoted that model to ac accepting external capital. Um, and they earn a fee on that external capital. So instead of putting their own balance sheet on risk, they're actually clipping the ticket on, on someone else's money. This is now fund manager, not just an investor in their own right. So you've got this um, consistent cash flow that should be coming in, as well as the kicker from their, um, their legal cases once they settle. So look, I'm quite happy still to buy this. I think it's, it's cheap enough. Um, it's not the bargain it was. I think when we were buying it, it was just um, it was a better risk reward. But I still think there's enough here. I don't think the market's onto the change in business model and, and how much it improves the business. I, I still think this is a buy. Cool. It's a sell for me. Um, <laughs> we're not agreeing much today. Are uh, we? That's okay. Uh, when I was a funny, we invested in uh, at least one of these stocks, and it wasn't, it wasn't yeah, a great experience. Yeah. 
their track record's strong. I think they've got a 77% mm. win rate, although they just uh, lost a case on appeal that they've got in their books at 250 mil, so there's some yep. cash outflow to come That's out. That's right. <coughs> what you said all sounds good. They haven't made a profit in the last, they're still losing money. Yep. Uh, they've had a great big case book still. I always look at the track record. Mm. Their presentations talk very positively but you're still making a loss and yeah, you've got tax credit, but you're still losing money. So if, if revenue is booming, for want of a better phrase, and you're losing money, when are you gonna make money? Um, they market themselves, if you think about what's available to you in the alternative asset space, they market themselves as an alternative asset manager by Regal Partners. You know, you get a whole bit different types of assets. Regal can do this as well. Mm. Um, it's not about Regal, but it's kind of like, do you need to play in this space? No, as you said, it's had a decent recovery. Uh, I, I would take profits and, and move on and find a different alternative investment manager if that's what you wanted, mm. noting that they're probably, possibly gonna have another year of outflows mm. in calendar 23, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you've probably got time on this one, so for me, it, it's a sell, at least in the near term. I actually don't disagree with a lot of what you've said there. I think they will have a difficult year ahead. The price has gone up, and you're right that the business model hasn't been proven yet. And I think that's the opportunity though. It's the uncertainty that probably creates the opportunity on sure. any measure of success. The share price is just crazy cheap. So if, if it works, it's gonna pay off quite nicely. But I, I agree, this is not without risk. And um, you know, I, I think for conservative investors, it's, it's not a bad position to, to avoid it. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's head back mm. into resources now. Phoenix Resources, Simon Washington about this thoughts in the current environment. Uh, it is an iron ore producer in, uh, in WA. Um, mm. So interesting space obviously to be in and also as to where that iron ore price is uh, sitting at the moment. Phil, Phoenix? I had to do a bit of research on this one. Yeah. Um, just macro level stuff, it looks like a buy. Um, iron ore price is recovering. Maybe we don't know why, it's probably China reopening mm. related, but iron ore price went through 110 bucks or so. Mm. Overnight's moving in the right direction. I'm often cautious of these smaller companies, but According to um, facts, it's 136 mil market cap holds 100 million cash that's right, that's right. and pays a dividend, yeah. around 20% dividend yield. Yeah. It's a buy. It's yeah. in the right space in Western Australia. It's holding a lot of cash. Most of its market cap pays a dividend. That sounds like a buy to me, just yeah. on, on those uh, on those metrics. Knowing a little about the company, just on that high level analysis, it looks pretty good. All right. Gee, it doesn't get any simpler that's than that, does it? <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. All right, Gaurav. I, this, this is a tricky one. I've struggled with this one because those numbers are remarkable um, and they're accurate. They're right. So this is a hundred odd million dollars. It's got, it's got most of its market cap covered in cash. And not only that, its production, about a hundred thousand tons of production are, um, are hedged um, at crazy high prices. I, I would say once you add the value of the hedge and the value of its cash and it's got a truck fleet that it owns, you've got the entire market cap licked. And then you almost get a free option on iron ore production here. And the guys who run this business are sharp. Um, they built a, um, this, this started off as a little, um, a pretty, pretty poor quality little trucking business. Um, they got really high quality ore. Um, I think it's about 65%, 66% iron. So they, they exceed the benchmarks, um, but their costs are really high because they have to truck these things um, around. They used to contract their trucking operation now around. $90 a ton was their cost of production. They since bought their trucking contractor and over time we should see that come down to around $80 a ton. I mean, we have to remember that, that BHP can produce at 13 bucks a ton. So this is by no means a sure thing. All we need is a 20% fall in the iron ore price and these guys are out of the money. Their trucking fleet is worthless 
Um, this can all fall over very, very quickly, but they have a huge cash pile. I, I'd say management who have shown that they can make something out of nothing, although the management has changed, and I think that that's probably the only thing that's keeping me from buying this myself, but I'd say a hold for now, just because for me, when you have a very obviously cheap price, I just get, price is not an investment case, you know? Everyone can see the price, it's not a mystery. I don't have a differentiated view. You know, if the iron ore price stays anywhere near this level, you're gonna make some money out of this thing. But keep in mind, the future production is strongly hedged. So it's not gonna be as responsive to iron ore prices. But, you know, in two years from now, if iron ore prices are sort of 50, 60 bucks, which I think is a possibility, um, this thing is headed the way most, um, um, you know, Midwest iron ore producers go when mm. iron prices fall, and that's in the big iron ore mine in the sky. I mean, that said, share price hasn't really gone anywhere in the past 12 months. But this is, it's, a, it's a bit of a mystery, because mm. these, these guys are collecting cash, they're paying dividends, um, they're making the right strategic moves. I think there's a, there's a good entrepreneurial team at work here, um, but I, I think you do need some confidence in the iron ore price. If you have that, um, this is um, a fantastic way uh, to get exposure, but for me, I'm just... It's too cheap to sell. I'm going to go hold. Yep. Um, but a fascinating little business, um, and one that I think confounds me a little bit. All right. Moving on to EQT Corporation. Uh, Dan wanted to know about this. It's um, a trustee company uh, offers asset management, estate planning. Um, been around for 130 years, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's been with us for a while. Yeah. Um, Gaurav, what do you make of this? I'm surprised we don't hear about this company yeah. more often. We actually had this as a buy uh, a couple of years ago and never made a dollar on it. Um, and it, it surprised me a little bit. This is a fantastic quality business, really. I mean, this is a almost a roll-up of, of trustee services. They, they now, they bought a couple of competitors and they now dominate that trustee space. And trustees is just really a license to make small amounts of money. Um, it's, it's very stable and, um, and reoccurring income. Margins aren't great, but they all get paid out as cash. You're looking at sort of a 4% yield. Um, without acquisitions, it doesn't grow particularly strongly. And sort of early 20s PE suggests to me that's probably fairly priced. Look, I don't see a great opportunity here to make money, but if, if all you want to do is sit there and collect a you know, five, six percent return on your money and, and do it without taking too much risk. This is a perfectly sensible way to, to do that. It's a hold for me, but no, nothing really exciting. Phil? Trustee business, it's nothing really exciting, but it is dependable, so yeah. I, yeah. I think it's a buy. Yeah. Um, it, it made a recent acquisition in Australian executive trustees, which is only just close, so mm -hmm. they'll, get, they'll digest that in the next 12 months and get some decent synergies out of the business couple of things weighing on the stock at the moment, depending on which of their three businesses, about 30 to 70% of its revenue is linked to equity markets, mm. domestic and offshore, call it 50% across the group on average. So equity markets fall, their share price falls because the market does a one-to-one -one correlation. Even though they get inflows um, from their clients, some of which are superannuation based, uh, the market, the investors still see that as a share market proxy. So we spoke earlier about the Santa Rally and what happens next year. If your view is some share market weakness in early 2023, this will probably follow it down in proportion. However, we think it's cheap. Uh, we think it's good, dependable, recurring revenue business. You look at the interesting perpetual trustees um, recently, perpetual is bigger, does other things as well, but there's a decent recurring revenue nature in this business. 
if you think genuine three-year views, they digest the acquisition, equity markets get back to normal levels of growth once we rebase. It's a compelling um, entry level at the moment, albeit there'll be some volatility in the near term. So it's a buy from us, but just it may actually trade sideways or in proportion to the market. Do you have any views on what happens to that trustee business inside Perpetual if, if, um, if all the mergers and, and everything goes through? Does that stay with, with Perpetual, do you reckon? It's quite large. So, mm. for example, these two couldn't, you would they think, couldn't merge, yeah, no, so, so yeah. uh, it could get carved out. Um, if that thing gets carved out, I would probably prefer that. That would be a that great business. Scale. That yeah. has more scale. Yeah. Um, that could get carved out. I don't think anyone offshore could buy it. There might be There's a lot of uh, There's a lot of furb issues with, with yeah. trustee businesses. Um, yeah, yeah. I would have thought two fund managers getting together is for the funds management business in the back that's office, right. so they could carve it out. They could carve it out. I think yep. that's, yep. that theory's been in practice play for 20 years, uh, we might see it. Um, so yeah, that I don't cover the other two yeah. socks, but it wouldn't surprise me to see a carve out. And then you'll get, the space might actually get more attention. You mentioned yeah. not many people know yeah. about EQT. It's got a good register, yeah. but if you get a, a larger player that's listed, yep. um, that'll attract more attention to the space. And then you might see both of them re-rate because more eyeballs um, on, a, on a bigger sector. Mm. Okay, that is EQT. Moving on to Noble Oak Life, Michael wanted to know about this. It's a, a distributor of life insurance products. Um, seen quite a rapid decline in uh, EPS over the past year. Though, Phil, um, Noble Oak. We think it's a buy. Uh, it's, a, it's another stock or another sector that's now under the radar. Life insurance has been a material part of our market. Yet yeah. A&P, AXA, uh, Challenger were a lot bigger. Mm. We then had the Hain pain, the Hain inquiry, and a lot mm. of them were written up for the wrong reasons. We saw what's happened to AMP. Um, we've now come out the other side. The Hain recommendations have been implemented. APRA have stepped in. Uh, you know, in terms of income protection, the industry lost about a billion dollars in calendar 2021 because it became politically correct to make um, mental health claims, whereas previously people didn't do it, so everyone started claiming. Oh, APRA has stepped in and said, you guys need to price appropriately, you need more capital in the business, we don't want any of you to go broke. There will never be another HIH or FIA, FAI in this industry, in this country, because the regulator will step in very soon, uh, as soon as they can. And that's what's happened. So coming out of post-Hain, the industry's now returned to growth, grew 5% last year, and is profitable after bleeding some money. So in terms of Noble Oak, um, they grew 40% last year, net earned premium growth versus a market of five and their forecast to grow, their guidance is to grow another 20% this year. They were the only life insurer not to be named in any sense in the Hain Inquiry. Mm. They've won a whole bunch of awards uh, and because people aren't really buying the, the big firms anymore, mm. their market share is still small. It's gone from 0.6% to nearly 2% in that period of time and growing profitably. So very conservative, very well-run business. And people may not realise that interest rate rises, given that they're invested in fixed interest, and at the short end of the curve, interest rate rises is dollar for dollar, straight to the bottom line. So uh, restructured industry, um, they've done very well. They've grown their market share, a positive beneficiary from interest rate rises. Um, we think it's a buy and very much under the radar. Yeah, interesting it wasn't named there. You know, obviously, the others, uh, what was the Hain pain for them, the Hain gain potentially then for, yeah. for Noble Oaks. So Gaurav, what's your view? Um, look, life insurance is one of my no-go areas, I've got to say. It is, the, count, the accounting is what kills me. It is just so fiendishly complicated. Yeah. You know, we, we do, we've done a, a big um, development thing on, on insurance businesses because I think that by itself is complicated. But when we got to the life insurance part, I mean, that's a, a, another level above in, in complexity. Um, 
Yeah, look, just just for the sheer complexity of it, I don't know this business and I, I don't understand the life insurance market and especially the accounting, which I think is it's a lot of discretion um, uh, in life insurance. They can be good businesses, but they're really dependent on good management. So it's a kind of stock you have to know a lot about to be able to in, invest in. It's not the, you know, usually it's, if you know the, the three most or four most important things about a stock, I, I'd be happy to invest on that basis. And, and this is not like that. This, you really have to go into the weeds. I know Shaw's have done a lot of work on this, so I'm going to piggyback off them um, and call it a hold. Um, I can't call it a buy because I haven't done the work myself, but um, I, I've read your report on it and um, it, it is compelling, I've got to say. The opportunity sounds compelling, if, if you can understand it, which I can't. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to go ultimately. Well, the problem with insurers yeah. is both general and life is there's present value in the accounting statements. That's right. So interest rate movements yeah. affect um, the P&L. And there's a whole lot of assumptions but yeah. underneath that. So not only do you have to interrogate the number, yeah. you've got to go back and interrogate all the... 15,000 variables that go into it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, hard. (laughs) Hard indeed. All right, well, look, uh, let's uh, wrap up where we've been for the first half of the show then. Uh, We began now with our uh, stock of the day, St. Barbara, uh, given its uh, buying um, Genesis uh, to become uh, Hoover House. Interesting name. We haven't got to the bottom of that. Do we know what, why it's Hoover House? No, no. Someone's going to tell us. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's uh, an avoid from uh, Gorev. He acknowledges it's going to give it a scale, but uh, just uh, wary of uh, given where it's been, um, particularly operating in Gualia, hasn't really made a fist of it for decades. Uh, Phil, though, has a buy on it. See St. Barbara as very cheap. Staying in gold, uh, West Gold Resources. Um, Phil saying a hold at best acknowledges the cost. I mean, it has been hurt, particularly as far as that diesel price is concerned, which has more than doubled. Um, Gorev saying he's got a speculative buy on it, saying it is a it is a high cost mine, but got a good balance sheet there. Uh, just, um, but it's not his favourite. Um, he likes Evolution, Gold Road, Romelius, thereabouts. Given what's going on in the gold space at the moment, uh, moving on to Omni Bridgeway, a buy from Gorev. Um, saying it's cheap enough, whereas Phil, a sell, saying, well, look, it's losing money. Uh, Phoenix Resources, back in the resources space there, a buy from Phil, uh, looks ticking all his boxes, uh, and Gaurav uh, saying, yeah, look, acknowledge it's got a great cash pile there, but uh, he goes as far as a, a hold. And EQT Corp, uh, a hold from Gorav, a buy from Phil saying it's dependable and cheap, and finally Noble Oak there, a buy from Phil and a hold from Gorav. All right, to our portfolio that the call is tracking, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at Ausbiz.com. So let's check in with the update. Going into this month, and in the uh, income, BAPCOR and Domino's, they were removed, in fact. Uh, Index and Janison Education were added and Elders weighting was increased. So to the performance thus far from the beginning of March, it's up almost 8% on a cumulative return basis. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed, 
our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Well, the ones we're going to look at next, Terra Royalties, uh, Kina Securities, Flight Centre, Jupiter Mines and Brickworks. So, to Terra Royalties, uh, Joe wanted to know about this. Uh, look, extracts its income via royalties, as the name suggests. Um, but uh, certainly, um, given the week at wine oil price this year has been affected, essentially goes, the share prices has, in, has gone sideways as a result. Um, so, Phil, Zotero. Interesting business, different mm. way to play the iron ore, get the exposure mm. to the price without the cost. Um, despite going sideways, actually looks like it's fair value on analyst estimates and pays a good yield, 7%. Uh, for me, it's a hold though, because I mean, iron ore is, seems to be moving upwards, um, but it's not exactly cheap. If you look at that share price, it's at near record all-time highs. So uh, if, if Gulware is right or suggests we get a downturn in the iron ore price at some stage, that's going to come down dollar for dollar. So at current levels, for me, it, it is a hold. At best, take the divvy for the next 12 months. Iron ore is probably going to be okay on, on the short to medium term. Uh, but for me, it's a hold at best. But an interesting way to play the iron ore price without having any mine-specific risk. So what do you think of the iron ore space in general at the moment? What's the, the view from Shores given? I mean, so much of that depends on yeah. China, of course. Look, our, our analyst uh, has called it well. Uh, iron ore price fell in a heap. Uh, as China, perhaps as China went into lockdown. Mm. Uh, China's coming out of lockdown, iron ore prices were recovering. So after the falling iron ore price, we were reasonably bullish on many of the iron ore stocks, Fortescue mm. in particular. They've now had the rally. Um, so and iron ore, I think, hit a... Dollar 110 or something yeah, overnight, yeah. so it's moving in the right direction. I can't mm. pick commodity prices, <coughs> but as a house, not me, but we, we called the bottom reasonably well. Mm. Uh, it's probably closer to fair value than it is cheap at the moment. So, if you bought a month ago, two months ago, you might want to think about taking profits. Uh, yeah. But I'm not an iron ore forecaster. You'd think it's got a bit of momentum as China opens up if their demand comes back to normal. So maybe there's 12 months more of, of positive momentum, uh, but I can't pick longer term. We'd probably get more supply over the medium term. So uh, in terms of this particular stock, I'd be cautious medium term. No reason to sell it, but yeah. um, you know, I'd have my finger on the sell button if it kept rallying. All right. Um, Gaurav, might get your take on the overall sector at the moment, mm. but then specifically obviously the terror. I'll preface everything by saying I've been wrong on iron ore for at least two years. <laughs> it has really surprised me. I would have expected weak iron ore prices, and they've really surprised by their strengths. And the reason I'm, I've been a little bit cautious is just the supply. I mean, the big guys are incrementally bringing on new supply, but Simandu over in um, in Africa, which is a just a fantastic iron, quality iron ore basin, but stranded in the middle of nowhere requiring a huge amount of infrastructure investment. The Chinese are doing it. And I think it looks as though that's going to happen. You know, this has been talked about for about 15 years, and it looks as though it's happening now. I think in sort of five, six years' time, we could we could have another 100 million to 200 million tonne exporter on our hands, and that will completely disrupt the iron ore market. And that really worries me. I think the market's going to start, it has to start reacting before that happens. Um, and as I said, there's, there's small um, increases in, in production from the existing um, supply chain as well. 
Iron ore is, is fascinating because it's not really mining, it's, it's logistics. And you find that um, everywhere in the world where you get, the, the reason why iron ore is the most profitable commodity pool is because um, you can only really uh, extract iron ore with existing infrastructure. So you find all the additions to global supply come from existing basins. And you can't, that's why high prices don't, can't incentivize new production because you've got to sink 10, 15 billion dollars into building an infrastructure chain before you can start mining an ounce of iron ore. And it only makes sense for the Chinese state and no one else to do that. Mm. Uh, so iron ore is a wonderful place to be when it's working. I, I, you know, we've had strong prices now for a good 10 years and, and I think we're, we might be at the end of that. I mean, I've been wrong about this so far, but I think we're, we're on the verge of a change in iron ore. And, and I think we're, we're, we're looking at um, more supply. There's a brand new basin coming online. And once you have a new basin, it's really cheap to incrementally increase that supply. Um, and and it's, it's terrifically disruptive to the iron ore market. So I'm, I'm negative iron ore. We, don't own, we own BHP, actually. But it's, it's, it's really just as a, a protective measure because I'm tired of getting um, knuckle-dusted by the iron ore miners. <laughs> so we hold a big chunk of BHP um, as, a, as a counter against that. But um, uh, to Terra specifically, if I could, I have to look, if, if I could pick one business to own on the ASX, I'd probably pick this one. Well, if okay. I could own the whole company, <clears throat> um, and if someone said to me, you can own one business, uh, I'd probably pick Terra simply because you don't need to do anything. Um, they have a royalty, I think it's 1.23% on the uh, mining area C, the most important part of BHP's iron ore production. They're actually tripling, well, 2.5xing production from that area as we speak, and that should happen in the next few years. So Deterra is going to have a meaningful increase in their revenue and dividends without incurring a single dollar of capex. It is a magnificent business. My fear is that management is going to stuff it up. In fact, I know they're going to stuff it up because they've already told us. Um, they said they want to go out and buy more royalties. This is the single best royalty in the world. Anything they buy is going to be diluted. It's going to be dilute, diluting this one. So. Um, if, if the, the blokes running this business wake up and realize they've got one of the best assets in the world and all they have to do is wake up in the morning, sign a check and go back to sleep, I'll happily buy it. But until then, I can't, I can't put a bar on it. It's a hold only. And um, it, it's interesting lining this up against Phoenix because if you're a believer in the iron ore price, both of these two things should work out really well. But mm. this gives you a lot less downside than Phoenix does. So that's, I mean, yeah, I bring that up just because if you're interested in buying Phoenix and you're a believer in iron ore, you've got to have a look at this one as well. But a hold for me. Yeah, interesting. All right, let's head back into the financial sector with Kina Securities. Uh, it's a diversified financial services company um, billing itself as offering those end-to-end -end solutions, if you like, uh, from savings accounts to business loans and mortgages and also financial advice and uh, investment management as well. So uh, a lot of scope there. Um, Gorev, so how are you seeing Kina? This is an astonishing business. <laughs> Absolutely astonishing. If, you, um, you know, if you're used to looking at banks, you know, CBA trades at, what is it, Phil, 2.5 times book or something, yeah. making a 12% ROE. This thing makes a double-digit ROE and trades at half book. Um, number two bank in PNG. I used to work in PNG for a short time, and I can tell you it's a interesting place and often scary place to do business. Um, but these guys have have stumbled on the way to make it happen. Um, 
There's also a little wealth management business in there that's that's growing. Um, it's it's a very different proposition to the banks we're used to, which really our, our banks really really uh, are very low risk because they they most of the loan book is in mortgages, um, and it's it's well covered with assets. Whereas this only a, a, a small amount of the loan book is covered with assets, and it's really a a term sheet dominated um, loan book, which makes it higher risk. So it should trade at lower multiples, and so I think. I think the current price is kind of look. It's cheap, but it probably makes sense for a bank with a lowish quality loan book um, operating out of Papua New Guinea. Um, but I've got to say, management looks terrific. They've they've really done um, some really impressive things with with a very limited pool of resources and a limited opportunity set. Um, the numbers are all astonishing. Look at the NIMS on it. Um, the, the the potential growth from the funds business is really it's it's absent from the share price. Really, you could buy this just. As a, as a cheap bank and get the, the, the other business for free. Look, I'm going to call it a, a speculative buy. I can't believe I'm doing it, but I'm going to call it a speculative buy. But this is a high, high risk um, investment and uh, only those with iron stomachs should, uh, should apply. But it's just, it's, it's too cheap, I think, to ignore. And there might be good reasons for that, but I think you're being well rewarded for taking on additional risk. Is it just Papua New Guinea? Yeah. All right. And that, that is part of the concern there. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think Australians sometimes have romantic notions of, of Papua New Guinea. When I was there, I remember I used to go to a Chinese restaurant in Papua New Guinea, and I went there one day, and the owner of the restaurant wasn't there, and it turned out the gangs had beheaded him. Mm. Um, I used to live in a compound, have armed escorts everywhere I went. This is one of the most dangerous countries in the world, where the government outside two cities does not exist. Um, so to do business here of any sort is really hard, um, but some people can make this happen. And it looks like um, you know, these guys have a real business, it's yep. just you, you want to discount that very heavily. All right, but with high risk. Yeah. Phil? I actually got approached for a role in PNG a number of years ago. <laughs> we'll put you in a compound, <laughs> in a there'll be securities, yeah. and you can go running inside the compound, just not outside the compound. <laughs> um, I, I don't have your stomach. It's a sell for me. Um, just just last week, um, sovereign risk. Yeah. The government's proposing increasing the tax rate from what was it, thirty percent to forty five percent. They pushed the share price down twenty percent on yeah, the day, right. and we don't know what the outcome will be, and that's probably twelve months away. So that's what can happen in PNG. Yep. Mind you, look at what we're doing with coal in Queensland <laughs> and gas. So you know, glass houses. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that's a very real reminder yeah. of sovereign risk. Yeah. And when the government says we're just going to tax you more because we can, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have the stomach for it. So for me, it's a sell. Um, and that top bank, um, I think it's the Bank of South Pacific. I, I want to say, but the number one bank is really well connected yeah. politically. You can guarantee whatever uh, measures that uh, Kina has to pay, those guys probably have a loophole to get out of it. Um, yeah. So if there is a loophole and they can get out, then it's cheap if yeah. you have the stomach for it. Yeah. Uh, this is still happened last week, so this Makes is sense. months to play out. Yeah. So for me. I would look elsewhere. Um, yeah, all right, okay. Too much so it's purely speculative. <laughs> Outside <laughs> the compound for me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, let's come back home. Uh, flight centre in the travel space, of course, uh, we know what it does. And, uh, well, interesting, of course, as uh, we get back flying and lots of talk of gouting, particularly as far as the airlines are concerned. So, Phil. Um, how do you see, how, how well placed is Flight Centre at the moment? Flight Centre is a great business that's been through a tough time and the sector's having a Santa Claus rally. Mm. We've seen... Um, Don't tell him that. He hates <laughs> that. Well, I, I think it's going to 
the music will stop. So I'm calling it a hold right. because um, you look at what some of the, the smaller places, they've all put out these great training updates. Qantas, um, some of the smaller ones have all said, hey, we're having a great start to 2023, let alone 2020. That's because people couldn't fly, people were stuck at home. Um, businesses, um, leisure travel, all just paid the tax, paid the higher prices, um, saved up some money, whatever. Um, people paid the extra premium to fly somewhere, the extra accommodation. That's going to stop. Um, Twenty-eight, around twenty-eight percent of their revenue last year was in the U.S. That handbrake's being pulled. We know that we're going to, you know, economists are talking five percent interest in the U.S. That handbrake's being pulled, so their leisure and corporate business in the U.S. you think will slow. Australians, very anecdotally, um, business costs are through the roof. Um, people will fly if they have to. They might fly once, but now there's Zoom, and Zoom's part of the norm. Working from home's part of the norm. Leisure travel. Um, even those who can afford to travel are saying, well, I'm not paying twice what I would normally pay. In some cases, people are saying, look, I'm stuck at home. I'm going away this year. Damn it, I'm going away mm -hmm. this year. So they're all putting out trading updates because it's two years of pent-up demand mm -hmm. fueling these good results. Mm -hmm. So what happens next calendar year when the interest rate rises start to bite in the US and in Australia? So I'm, I'm cautious that this is a Santa rally in the whole flight leisure um, travel sector, but we still haven't got students coming back to Australia in, in a big way. So the permanent travel hasn't yet begun. This is, in my opinion, this is a temporary spike that's pushing a few of these companies up. I, I would take profits. Hold it. It's great business, great longer term investment, but I just see a challenging 2000, because we're getting the mean reversion from two pretty tough years. Mm. So people are overspending at the moment. I think that is, will re-mean revert in calendar 23 and it's too early to buy this stock. It's a good long-term investment, I call it a hold, it's not a sell, um, but I think these stocks are over-earning at the moment and capacity will come back on and prices will come down, therefore they'll, um, they'll be cycling some high comps in about a year or so. I mean, that said, the share price has never really recovered from that, the, the COVID cliff. Uh, sure, which way it's not a sell. Um, so there is some value there. I just think um, in PE terms, the earnings might adjust to make it look fair value in PE terms. Mm. Um, and look, to, to, to argue um, that fl tri flight patterns will get back to where they were pre-COVID, I don't think that's right. Leisure will. Leisure, of course, will. Um, in terms of business travel, Zoom is here to stay, or video yep. virtual is here to stay. So mm. I think people, I'm just pure guess, for every three face-to-face -face meetings, these have might be one will be virtual going forward because mm. once you've had the initial meeting, you follow up by Zoom as opposed to having to fly yeah. um, where you would normally, um, yeah the zoom where you'd normally fly all right Gareth, Gareth. it's taken us eight stocks in but i think we have a point of agreement finally <laughs> <laughs> finally yeah look I, I largely agree this is a this is a wonderful managed business we've owned it um on and off for years and done really well every time we've owned it um it's uh, um i think you're right phil to, to particularly point out the cyclicality in this and and of course everyone knows travel is cyclical but this one inside flight center is i think it's the world's fourth or third biggest uh, corporate travel business as well like there's a substantial amount of corporate travel profits um embedded into flight center and, and often doesn't get you know they don't they don't highlight it or split it out particularly easily and and so you, you, it's easy to miss that sometimes but um it's there and it's highly cyclical um you know i i agree there's there's a lot of discretionary unknowns here but I also agree that this is just a really well-managed business and they took the opportunity at COVID to change the business model around 
they went through a huge um, change and shut down hundreds of stores. And it's now a much more leaner online focus business than it ever has been. Um, I'm going to give it a hold. I think the valuation has come down enough to make it worthwhile holding for the, for especially for, for longer term investors, but I certainly would not be allocating fresh capital to anyone in this sector, actually. I, I agree with that sector-wide um, verdict as well. I think we're going to, this is a special year, and I don't think we should extrapolate um, this year's results in, in the future. Okay, Flight Centre. Let's move back to resources, Jupiter Mines, and uh, Jane, what you about this uh it's in manganese um it's it's based in perth but um we're close to a 50 percent just less than 50 percent interest in a manganese mine in south africa uh, and um what manganese mostly used what steel steel making hardened steel yeah mm. uh, but also in batteries to i well, think to a degree we'll get into that <laughs> yeah, okay all right yeah. okay gorev go for it yeah so Look, let's get this out of the way. 95%, maybe more, maybe 98% of, of the world's manganese supply is used to harden steel. Um, at the moment, only 1% or 2% is used in battery. And manganese as a battery metal, I would say it's not settled yet. Mm. I know everyone, everyone wants to call everything a, a battery metal. I, I think the most worrying part of the market at the moment is the battery metals. Um, it, it's, it smells like a, like, uh, I'm not, okay, I'll say a bubble. It smells like a bubble to me. Um, and, you know, if I'm wrong, so be it. But, um, you know, I don't want to participate in it. Manganese is not yet a battery metal. Um, a couple of years ago, the price of cobalt went, went bonkers. Mm-hmm. And um, the battery makers showed amazing ingenuity in changing the chemistry of their battery composition to um, exclude large quantities of cobalt and in, in, in doing that, they had to substitute it for mag- magnesium, manganese <laughs> and, uh, and nickel. So there is a battery chemistry available that uses a, f- a, a decent chunk of, of manganese in one, one of the, I think it's the, um, the cathode. Um, but it's not the norm and it's not settled yet. So look, I would not price this as a battery metal. It's possible that mm. manganese um, um, uh, supply is, is in uh, manganese demand takes off, but I don't think it's quite settled yet. Um, so for me, this is still very much a, a steel-focused metal. Um, uh, the good news for Jupiter is that they own one of the great mines in the world. Um, there's a there's a there's an area in South Africa that just responsible for the bulk of the uh, of the world's manganese. Um, it's uh, I forget the name of it, but it, most of it comes from here. Um, what? Oh, that's one of the mines. Shippy right. is the mine that they own, but there's a whole belt. There's, there's probably half a dozen mines along that belt, and um, all of them are fantastic. Uh, Shippy's probably, I think it's the fourth biggest manganese mine, I want to say, in the mm. world, and it generates fantastic returns, um, fantastic free cash flows. I guess the only problem is that it's in South Africa, and business in South Africa has gotten really difficult. Um, the other half is owned by a South African company. They've got these really arduous laws, labor laws and ownership laws in South Africa where equity stakes kind of get, get pinched. Um, labor laws are really difficult to manage. There's a tendency for miners to invade the turf and overrun it. Um, and power is the biggest problem in South Africa. Um, that, that ESCOM is was the utility. It, it's completely dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, they're still making a lot of money. Look, I'm, I'm torn with this one. 
I'm going to go a hold. Um, you know, the manganese price is going through a bit of a cyclical funk um, in, in sympathy with the steel price. And I think if you're ever going to own it, now is not a bad time to tip some money in. Mm -hmm. I, 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 again, I just, I'm, I'm not convinced. I think there's a, there's a really good asset here, really good management here. I'm worried about the counterparty. I'm worried about South Africa. Are you yeah. being compensated for those risks? Not sure. Okay. So I've got a hold. Kalahari, manganese. There you field. go. Thank yeah. you. Well done. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the power of Google. Um, Phil. I agree with everything yeah. that's spec buy from me. Because, yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, yeah. you know, 10% dividend yield yeah. for what is... Actually, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go spec buy as well. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that was yeah. Yeah. I think all they needed was a little nudge. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cheap enough. Gone. Yeah, but it's exactly yeah. that. If you look at analyst value, it's well mm. below, almost half analyst valuation, 10% mm. dividend yield. Mm. My understanding is manganese can't be recycled like steel can. So if it's going to be driven up by demand for steel production. So it's going to follow the iron ore demand upwards. Yeah. Maybe, I'm not an expert in the area, but it seems to me the macro is suggesting it, it might not be terrible buying. You've got some optionality You've got the 10% dividend yeah, yield. Yeah. So I agree with everything you said, spec buy, not yeah. a huge position, small position um, yeah. at current prices is, is worth a look. All right, let's uh, round it out with Brickworks. Uh, Liam, one interesting about this, it is of course, well, you know, started out by building bricks, by making bricks, I should say, building products <laughs> producer. <laughs> Uh, now it's sort of got a growing property portfolio, which is uh, interesting, and it has that relationship with uh, Sol Pats as well, as far as uh, its stock is concerned. Phil, interesting business. Um, good trading update at the AGM, I think last week. Uh, it does have exposure to property and development, and they flagged a strong start to the first half of the year with some potential headwinds in the second half of some of the projects roll off. But if you look at what comprises their net asset value of about $33, about half of it is Solpats, mm. a diversified funds management business. So although a lot of the talk is about the property and the development, half their valuation is funds management and Solpats is quite well um, diversified. So again, medium term view, um, given you know they've never missed a dividend in over 40 years, 12% compound growth over a number of years. It's been a good long-term um, long-term investment. So an entry price at 22 bucks, theoretical value at $33 pre-tax. For me, on valuation grounds, on the long-term view, the fact that there's at least uh, a solid six months uh, coming out, sure we bounce off the bottom, but for me, it's a buy based on what they've delivered over a very long period of time. It's not gonna be without its volatility, uh, but it is more than just a property developer, a brick manufacturer. Um, right. And I actually didn't think that, um, the agreement they put in place, I think, a week ago to secure their gas supply um, was terrible. Yeah, agreed, um, agreed. So, again, takes away some of the uncertainty. So, for yeah. me, it's a buy based mm -hmm. on valuation and medium Yeah, that, term that deal with Santos, in fact, 11-year deal to yeah. secure its, its gas and Given supply. what might happen uh, in New South Wales, yeah. so that might, in hindsight, might prove might to be, be yep. valuable. Yeah. I, I think, for me, this is one of the best management teams on the ASX. And I sometimes think we obscure, we confuse a good business with good management. You know, sometimes the, the best management teams are found in very ordinary businesses. And, and this is not an ordinary business, but it's by no means an extraordinary one. But the management here, I mean, I've been covering this stock for more than 10 years. And it just, every time I hear from these guys or go through a report, it's just, it's, it's a pleasure because it's so honest and so clean and uh, everything's upfront, um, everything's honest. And I've owned this stock in the past. We own it in our portfolios. And it's one of the stocks I can go home and sleep about and know that when I wake up the next morning, I know management's getting up and working diligently and competently every single day. 
um, to extract value out of the company. And you can't say that for a lot of companies, I've got to mm. say. Um, so for that alone, if you're, a, if, if you're a long-term investor, especially if you're a conservative investor, I've got a $19 buy, buy price on it. You can forget about that and you can buy it now. I think there's enough value on the table. Um, that 33 bucks, I, I would just moderate that a little bit. Feel like there's, there's some deferred tax liabilities they'll have to pay sure. to realize that value, but your point's still well made and correct. There's a lot of latent value on the table here. Um, most of the, of the value, as Phil correctly identifies, is in Solpats, which increasingly the cash flows is backed by New Hope. Um, we own, I personally own a huge stake in New Hope. Um, the funds own a big part in New Hope. If you can't invest in New Hope because you've tied your hands for ethical reasons, buy some Brickworks. This is a, all the cash flow going into New Hope yep. will flow through to Sol's into Brickworks. This will be the only manufacturer of bricks to consistently pay dividends for years because um, these manufacturers are going to have difficulty accessing um, accessing energy and then accessing free cash flow. Uh, so for that reason, I think I'm going to call it a hold. But as I said, if you're a long-term investor, you can still buy this sensibly. Um, I'll quickly point out that the expanding in the US and the US business, I was skeptical at first, but having gone through it in a bit more detail, looks really good. The brick supply there is is almost an annuity stream because a lot of it is... Um, is special specialty fashion bricks, and the, uh, I think half the, the revenue there comes from just um, resupplying old buildings with specialized bricks that no one else can do. Mm. So they just did the Chrysler building in the US, and there's a very specific type of brick that goes onto that building, and only they have it. So it's it's a it's a really nice expansion, and it just shows you that that the care with which this business is managed. A lot of companies throw away capital in this industry. Uh, this is not among them. All right. Let's uh, wrap it up. Second half of the show, Deterra Royalties uh, hold uh, from Phil. Uh, certainly likes the dividend. Uh, Gorev also a hold. Frustrated hold. Frustrated hold. Yeah. Potential that may dilute its um, its royalty um, there with uh, with others that it's considering. Uh, Kena Securities in Papua New Guinea, a speculative buy from Gorev, uh, does come with risk. Uh, therefore, Phil has a sell on it. Uh, a flight centre, a hold from both. Jupiter Mines, a spec buy from both, uh, if you like, Manganese. Phil got me the line, yep. Get into it. <laughs> <laughs> and Brickworks, a buy from Phil and a hold from Gorab. Well, thank you to our special experts here. Gorab, thanks for joining us from Intelligent Investor. Thanks, guys. And Phil from Shore Partners. Thank you. Great to see you both. Cheers. All right, and uh, don't forget, if you'd like us to cover a stock, flick us an email at the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at TV. Coming up next, the small caps stay with us.